Good morning. Good morning. Good news, bad news this morning. Uh, I think the good news far outweighs the bad news though. So the good news is, is that we are in the, the letter, the epistle of Romans. If you would turn with me there, if you have your Bibles, great. If not, there's some Bibles underneath the, the seats in front of you. We are walking through the letter of Romans from Paul to Roman Christians and Jews, uh, uh, Jewish Christians as well. And we're walking through that and like a master builder, he is constructing this argument and he's leading to this incredible place. He is leading to the forgiveness and grace and mercy of God. He's leading to the gospel that God loves you, that despite your sin, he wants to bring new life into you and teach you how to live for his glory. Isn't that good news? That's like the best news ever. ever. Now here's the bad news. We don't get there this morning just yet. He's still building a foundation for us to understand of our lives so that we will really get the depths of the gospel, that we'll really understand how much God loves us and what Christ did on the cross, right? But we can't rush into that. We have to take the time. Like you remember, we keep coming back to this quote from Pastor Uh, Timothy Keller, have the, the quote up on the screens. We're far worse than we ever imagined and far more loved than we could ever dream. Now, I know some of you were thinking, yes, we get to the good part of that sentence. We get to the good part of God's love and forgiveness. And yes, not yet. One more week on the bad part of that sentence. One more week on you're you're far worse than you think you are. Because remember, if we diminish the depths of our sin, then we will diminish the depths of God's love. And we don't want to do that, right? If we don't allow ourselves to enter very deeply into understanding who we are and how we've been knit together and are truly are standing before God, then we're not going to be able to enter into the depths of the gospel. And we don't want to diminish the gospel, do we? We don't want to diminish the love of God at all. So if you recall, last week... Paul was, again, a master builder laying this foundation. And we talked about in Romans 1, this this spiritual downturn of our souls. As a human race, we were given the revelation of the truth of God. We were given that there is a God, that he exists, that he's created all things, that he cares about our lives, and he wants to release us into a life of his glory. And yet instead of running with that truth, as a human race, we rebelled. And we exchanged the truth for a lie. And or as Eugene Peterson, we saw last week, we put a shroud over the truth, rebelled within, and God gave us over to that rebellion. 
He gave us over to that depravity. And so we end, if you look at chapter 1, verse 29, we get these nasty lists of life. Now, when we rebel against God, verse 21, they have become filled, the human race, with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. <sighs> Yikes. Oh. Now, as much as I want to get to, and you are far more loved than you'd ever dreamed, Paul doesn't. There's another aspect that we need to understand, not just the, the depths of our sin and brokenness, but the other aspect that we need to understand from a biblical perspective is the revelation of God's judgment of Judgment Day, when, according to Scripture, we will stand before God and give an account of our lives. The good actions and the bad actions, we will stand. And I want to suggest to you this morning that most of us, whether Christians or non-Christians, have a very incomplete understanding of the judgment of God. That it's, it's relatively shallow, uh, many times unbiblical, and we're missing really what we will experience when we all, each and every one of us, women, men, will stand before him and give an account of our lives. I was talking with a good friend many years ago. His name is Mike. He wasn't a Christian at that time. I really liked Mike a lot. And we were talking about faith. He was uh, raised within Christian science, and he had stepped away from that. Didn't know for sure what he thought about faith or Christianity or uh, any of those things. And we happened to be talking about end times and what would happen. And he was unsure about what he believed about that, whether there would be a day that we would stand before God. He was unsure if he believed in God. And, and, and in some ways, as we talked about it, and I heard his perspective, I really thought it was somewhat courageous of his perspective. He said, you know, he said, in this life, I just take things as they come, and I do the best I can with the things that come. He was a father of three, three boys. He was a husband, and he was a construction worker. And I liked him. He, he, was, he was really trying to do things right. And he said, in terms of what happens when we die, I don't know. I'll just take it as it comes, and I'll do my best. I, I kind of like that. I thought that was neat. Somewhat courageous, right? He's just trying to do it. Over the next several years of our relationship, what I tried to say to him is, do you know that there is someone who is from eternity, from the eternal, that came to earth. And he shares not only the right way to live, but he shares about eternal things because he's returned back there. 
And he's the one that we need to listen to about all things, especially things of heaven and hell, especially things of eternity, especially things of wrath and judgment. You know I'm talking about Jesus, right? And he gave this revelation, and with my friend, we began to talk about and grow in that understanding of really what he would face. And that's what I'd like to do with you this morning, allowing the words of Paul to teach us, inform us, what does that judgment day look like? Are we ready? We don't have to just take it as it comes. In fact, Jesus and Paul and God's revelation, they want to teach us so that we would know and then live accordingly today based on what we will experience in the future. That's what we're after this morning. Amen. A tall task? Well, let's get to it. He picks up the argument talking about the depravity of our sin and the human race and our standing before God, and he moves to the other side of this foundation, the judgment of God, chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else... Who knows that if we get a right understanding about God's judgment, it's going to change how we judge others. Yes? Yes, it is. It says, but you judge on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. He's talking about the hypocrisy that's within church and outside of the church, and human nature to judge other people when in fact our hearts are in very similar places as theirs. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Ours is often based on hypocrisy. God's judgment is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Rhetorical question. Rhetorical answer is no. Uh-uh. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Oftentimes we think God's judgment is about condemnation, and we represent God's judgment because we think it's about condemnation, and Paul says, no, it's not about that. It's about repentance, his judgment day. What we're learning today is meaning to lead us to a place of repentance, not of condemnation, not of separation from God, but restoration, forgiveness, and intimacy with God. That's what this morning is about. You see that? Not condemnation, but repentance. That's what God's kindness, forbearance, and patience is about. Verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. This is part of God's revelation. He wants us to understand. God will repay each person according to what they have done. 
foundational. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Hallelujah. But though, for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. doesn't matter who you are. God will judge us in truth. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Paul is arguing to especially the Jewish Christians. He's saying, you don't get to say, we got the law. That's not an out. You'll be judged according to the revelation that's been given you. Okay? Hold on to that thought. Uh, verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. The thing to know is we'll be judged based on the revelation given to us. If we have the law, which is the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, all the Jews, we'll be judged based on that. If it's our own moral conscience for those who do not know the law, we'll be judged on that. Okay? We'll unpack that in a little bit. Stay with me. This will take place on the day when, God's judge, uh, when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. All right. Let's unpack this a little bit here as we understand God's righteous judgment which is being revealed and I want you to start from this place look at verse 6 with me the foundational principle of God's judgment is in verse 6 God will repay each person according to what they have done that's the essence and the foundation of Judgment Day before us. Paul is quoting both Psalm 62.12, Proverbs 24.12 from the Old Testament, and two words that are helpful uh, for us to think about this. One word is repay, and the other word is reward. One word is repay, and the other word is reward. He says, look at verse 8 with me, for those who are self-seeking, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. That is sin. So if you think about, and I think it's very valid to think about the traditional idea of scales. All right, if you've got a scale here of your life, go to that first one, Irene, yep. And on one side, he's saying verse 8 is sin, is self-seeking, Right? And we will, we will face the consequences. 
He will repay us. That's justice. For the wrongs that we do others, there's a justice peace, and it's sin, and it's on that side. Now, there is another side of the scale, hallelujah, right? And this element, the, the key word is reward. So really, you can hear in many of the, this understanding, revelation of God's judgment is repay and reward. Look at verse 7 with me. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Now, you get this idea. You've got sin, bad, evil, brokenness, how we hurt one another. And we will be repaid by a God of justice and righteousness. Paul is arguing, but there is another side of righteousness. That's good. The good things that we do. And we've got this scale. And someday we'll stand before God like this. This is what Paul is arguing. You with me? Some of you are raising questions, but stay with me. I want to suggest that many Christians and non-Christians, most of us, we have this in the background that we know that what we do matters in this life. We know that there is a God of justice. We, we can feel it in our bones. And when we, we do an act of unrighteousness, of sin, we get concerned. And when we do an act of goodness and kindness, there's a sense of, yeah, that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And yet, I want to suggest that most of us have this understanding of sin and righteousness. And when we do our own sense of self-assessment, we feel okay, Right? Maybe as we get older, we try and throw on a few more righteous things to weigh it down a little bit, right? To, to tip the scale a little bit. When you're younger, you don't think about this that much, right? Right? But as we get older, we start to, we, we want to tip the scale, right? Are you with me? And, and so our assessment, so if I do an assessment of myself, I feel like I'm doing okay. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a drug dealer. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just kidding, John. I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, my friend. John is such a beautiful individual. He lets me give this. Just going back to most of us, right? If I'm not a drug dealer or a politician, you know I'm joking if there's any politicians here. I'm doing okay, right? I, yeah, I've made some mistakes. I've done some boneheaded things. I've allowed my depravity to get the best of me at times especially when I was younger. But I'm doing all right. Is that, yes, would you say that most of us bring that perspective of one another? How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you have seen the movie, The Social Network? Just a show of hands, would you? It was considered a pretty class. Okay, some of you, you guys need to watch more movies. Anyways... <laughs> It's the story of Mark Zuckerberg, who is the creator and CEO of Facebook. How many of you use Facebook? Okay, a lot more of you. All right, good. 
So that is a story, somewhat of a controversial movie because uh, some said it, it, it's really a Hollywood version of that idea. But, um, but it's based on the, the growth of Facebook and what Mark Zuckerberg did. And there was actually two lawsuits in reality. And one lawsuit was about the idea that, that Zuckerberg actually stole the idea of, of Facebook. And he awarded gobs and gobs of money to these two twins from Harvard when he was there. And the second lawsuit um, was that he, um, I, I don't quite understand how he was able to uh, finagle and really in a mean way his best friend and co-worker, uh, uh, co-founder of Facebook, uh, they reduced his shares to where it gave him, he lost tons and tons of money. He signed over with the lawyers. He didn't read the contracts and, and so forth. And then if you throw a little bit of sex and drugs and college in there, it's not the best portrait of Mark Zuckerberg, Okay. And so you've watched this movie, and again, this was, uh, we don't know how accurate the, the, those two legislations were, um, or uh, those two legal things were true, but we don't know how accurate all that is. But at the end of the movie, um, where we've been through all of this legal disposition, and it's a lawyer on Mark's side, and Mark is sitting at the table, and he gives a self-assessment of himself. And listen to his words closely. This is at the end of the movie. Go ahead and play the clip. We're done for the day. Yeah. Yeah, I was just sitting here. What happened to Sean? He still owns 7% of the company. All you had all day was that salad. You want to get something to eat? I can't. I'm not a bad guy. I know that. When there's emotional testimony, I assume 85% of it is exaggeration. And the other 15? Perjury. Creation myths need a devil. What happens now? Cy and the others are having a stake on University Avenue. Then they'll come back up to the office and start working on a settlement agreement to present to you. They're gonna settle? Oh yeah. And you're gonna have to pay a little extra. Why? So that these guys sign a non-disclosure agreement. They say one unflattering word about you in public, you own their wife and kids. I invented Facebook. I'm talking about a jury. I specialize in voir dire, jury selection. What a jury sees when they look at a defendant. Clothes, hair, speaking style, likability. Likability. I've been licensed to practice law for all of 20 months, and I could get a jury to believe that you planted the story about Eduardo and the chicken. Watch what else. Why weren't you at Sean's sorority party that night? You think I'm the one that called the police? Doesn't matter. I asked a question, now everybody's thinking about it. You've lost your jury in the first 10 minutes. All right, we can cut it off there. Farm out of yeah. Did you hear? Uh, he said, I'm not a bad guy. And she said, yeah, I know you're not a bad guy, right? I, I think that represents most of our perspective. Remember, he just 
basically, if you believe the movie in the sense, he stole the idea of Facebook, you've got some sex, and you've got a little bit of drugs and drinking, and you've got this uh, uh, turning his back on, the, on his co-founder, and yet he says, you know, I'm not a bad guy. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know if I would agree with your assessment. I thought of the words of Jesus, you know, no one, no one is good. No one is good but, but God alone. And friends, here's the deal. Here's why we miss the judgment day is because we miss the depth of our sin and the shallowness of our righteousness. We miss, and this is what Paul is speaking about and weighing into, is we miss the depth of our sin and the shallowness of our righteousness, and we feel like, I'm not a bad guy. Right? Can we think for just a moment about, let's go with the uh, left side of the scale. The left side of the scale. Think about that for a moment. Let's turn to uh, Jesus' thoughts a little bit about that. First of all, Paul says in Romans 3.22, he's leading to this moment. He says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't know if we really believe that. So let's talk a little bit about sin and let Jesus speak into this a little bit. Jesus talked about the heart, our thoughts, our feelings matter. That judgment day isn't only about what we actually do. It also is a matter of the heart. And Jesus says all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he takes us from just looking at our physical actions and he says, no, if you're thinking about judgment and the righteousness of God, you have to go internal. And he says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Go to that next uh, uh, slide, Irene. You have heard that it's said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Boy, that is really a bummer, isn't it? Yes? I mean, think about that. What, what he's saying as we anticipate judgment and we're on the way, you know what, I am not a bad guy. But Jesus is saying, you know, here is what's really important. The heart. And, and, and to look and to lust in your own heart. In fact, in another place, Mark 7, Jesus says this. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's not what you eat. For it is for within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, 
murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. What he's saying is you need to look inward. As you do that self-assessment, it's not just about what you do, but it's what is going in on here in your soul. You can look at your neighbor and go, bummer, that, that is a bummer, right? That, does that tip the scale just a little bit in your mind? Hearts, the heart matters. Did you know that our words matter as well? Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, go to the next slide. Our words matter. But I tell you that everyone who will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty or careless word they have spoken. Bummer, right? Have you ever been in an argument, maybe with your spouse or a good friend or child, and you come later, I'm sorry, you know the words that I said I didn't really mean, right? As if the words don't really have. In judgment day, our words matter. Well, at least according to Jesus, the one who's from heaven. He's saying each word, each word, do you, do you get it? It matters. God is so holy and righteous that your words matter. Each one weighs on that left side of the scale there. And friends, we haven't gotten to actions yet. Yikes. I'll read a positive one with reward in it for actions. Just uh, This is Matthew 16, 27. Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So yes, there's the positive words, positive emotions, positive actions but also the other side. I was thinking about this and uh, all the inappropriate sexual abuse and so forth that's been in the media. And those actions are, are coming to light. I was thinking about how, you know, they're gonna have to give an account, we will have to give an account for our sexuality. And we're not, we're not only going to have to give an account of what we do, but think about leading up to those sexual abuses, uh, the, that sexual appropriateness. Think about all the lust, lust within the hearts of people and the mind. Think about the words used uh, to persuade, to manipulate, to control. Think about the cover-up or the lies or the denial. All of that matters to God, not just what comes out in the media. All of that, or as Paul says, the secrets are revealed. Our heart, our words our actions. How are we doing on that scale? 
So can we go back to that scale, Irene? That 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 sin there, right? We're kind of there. So if if the scale is kind of low on the left side, boy, we are going to need some heavy-duty righteousness. <laughs> to bring that back, right? right? Yes. Boy, I'm concerned for you. <laughs> I'm just going to say a few words about righteousness. Paul is also going to come to a conclusion about righteousness in Romans 3, 10 and 11. He says this, there is no one righteous. Bummer. Bummer. Not even one, there is no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. There's a famous passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah 64, 6. I don't think we have it on the screen for you, but just listen to this. This is, um, this is Isaiah confessing. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. Let me read that again. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. I don't even want to get into the details of what the filthy rags really means. It's gross. It's not good. And he's saying, and this is the best way I, I understand it, that the depth of our sin, the depth of our unrighteousness, the depth of that left side, it has tainted us so much as human beings, it, even our good and righteous acts, that they feel tainted. They have mixed motives. It's so hard to get them to weigh completely on that right side of the scale. I can do a kind work, and yet I hope they notice, right? Or at least if the people that I've been kind to, if they don't notice, I hope my wife notices at least. <laughs> you, you see what's happening? And so that, that sin and righteousness scale we're still here and we're in trouble. And friends, I was thinking about it this way that for some reason I was thinking about a, a visual of, an, of, of animals and I was thinking our righteous acts because they're so tainted, it's like if we have on our right side this little Yorkshire Terrier just sitting on the righteousness side. And on the, the other side, on our left side, go ahead and go to that next picture of that scale. It, it's a hippopotamus. I want that visual to stick with you. Hippopotamus and a little teacup terrier. Who's looking forward to the judgment of God? Woohoo! Bring it, God, I'm ready. Do you see how Paul is laying the foundation for us in this way? All right. Now, let me just say a few words about before we, we talk about 
uh, communion, which we really need to get to, <laughs> is this understanding of who we are and the understanding of the scales should really lead to humility in two ways. Humility, one, towards each other, that we should realize that our scales, each and every one of us, our scales look like this. We are all in this together. Look at your neighbor and say, we are, all, we are in this together, my friend. We are, that, that hippopotamus, that Yorkshire terrier, that is you. Right? Verse 1, Paul says, You therefore have no excuse. You have passed judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment and do the same thing. In other words, I get to say, man, those people are horrible. Those sexual abuse and all of that. And I point fingers and I say this. What about the lust in my own heart? Boy, I better start, stop judging people. I still remember this. I looked for the clip, uh, but I couldn't find it. So I hope it's not a figment of my imagination, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Uh, it was right after O.J. Simpson and uh, the White Bronco and all of that. The nation was following the White Bronco. And, and they interviewed Mike Singletary, who was perhaps the greatest uh, linebacker in the history of the NFL. What team did he play? I can't. The Chicago Bears, that's it. I had to have one football reference for Super Bowl, right? And so they're interviewing, and Mike Singletary is a super strong Christian. I know that. And they are interviewing him about O.J. Simpson and all of that at, right at the heart. And of course, all, so much of that was wrong and it's sin and brokenness. But in essence, in the midst of what he, uh, Mike Singletary said, which I still remember, he said, you know, it's a wake-up call for all of us. Because we, all of us, have that in our hearts. I thought, wow. Yes. You see, now it's not, uh, it's not that we don't ever make judgments or assessments or, or say things are wrong. In fact, Jesus was pointing in the same direction when he says in Matthew 7, you hypocrite when we judge. Same thing that Paul is talking, when we judge without humility. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Yes, we'll make judgments. Yes, we'll go, we'll try and help. Yes, all that's true. But first we have to realize we got a big old plank because it's about our heart. It's about our words. And our actions, we judge the actions of others and we give a pass to our own hearts and our own words. And friends, that's called hypocrisy. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then ultimately, we need to have a humility before God that we have to say, God, I am here, I get it, I see it. You are a righteous and holy and pure God and I am so far from that. Mercy, mercy, I need your help. This is Paul's assessment of himself. 
that we can really follow. Paul says this, Romans 7, 24. What a wretched man I am. Why would Paul say that? He was a Jew of Jews. He was the leader of God's kingdom. He wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. And yet Paul says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Why does he say that? Hippopotamus and Yorkshire Terrier. I almost didn't want to resolve it, but I will. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. One last story. I've told this story before, but it's so good, I, I want to re repeat it. It was when I was a college pastor, and we were driving across Illinois, um, and, uh, and we saw two hitchhikers. They were young adults. They had tie-dye shirts on, and... Uh, I was with another young guy. We were like 25, 26, and we're like, well, let's, let's do it. Let's pick them up, and we'll share the gospel with them. So we pick up this couple. It was a different day. It wasn't nearly as dangerous. And, and so we pick them up, and we start talking. We tell them we're kind of like college pastors, and we're, we're sharing with them, uh, kind of getting to the gospel and ask them about their upbringing. The girl, she was about mid-20s, and she was raised in a Christian home but had rejected that and walked away and now was wanting to travel the world. And she was very interactive, engaged, and we were talking back and forth. The guy was real quiet. And he wasn't raised in a Christian home. He was probably mid-30s, somewhere about there. And so um, we were talking about sin and righteousness. And even though he didn't say a lot, he did say this. He said, you know, I, I, I've traveled a lot of this world. I've seen a lot of things. And I've done a lot of things. And I know I'm a sinner. And I really hope I don't go to hell. And I thought, this guy's close to the kingdom. He gets it. He doesn't know Jesus. But he's close to the kingdom. And then when we, uh, we were heading south and they wanted to keep heading west, and I happened to have an extra Bible in my uh, bag and they had a big pack so I knew that they would have to carry the Bible on their back so I didn't know if they'd take it and I offered it hoping that maybe the girl because she was so interactive he was mostly quiet but so interactive I said I have an extra Bible if you guys like and she's like no I'm good I, I, I don't want to carry that on my back the guy said I, I'd really like to take that and I, I folded the first page of the gospel of John Never saw him again. Friends, it, it's that disposition, that heart of humility that if we bring to the gospel, we will be saved. It, it's that heart and humility if we bring to this table that is before us that will experience Jesus. Isn't it awesome that we get to be real 
about our sin. Because God doesn't condemn and push away. He's wanting to lead us to repentance and draw us near. Can we go back to the scale with the hippopotamus and the Yorkshire Terrier? The, the picture up there. So I'd like you to think about this as we approach communion. There's a big hippopotamus in our soul. And it's a barrier. Each and every person in here, with the possible exception, no, no, there's no exceptions but guess what we're going to get to in Romans is Jesus comes and he puts a leash on that hippopotamus and he leads him off your scale he pays the penalty he does justice and he removes the hippopotamus We'll get there. But we can celebrate that today. On that cross, he leads the hippopotamus off of our hearts and souls. Some of you might say, you don't know, Eric. My scale is broken. I have thought and said and done such horrible things. He can lead it off, but it's broken. Jesus' death and sacrifice heals our scales. He knits it back together and he wipes it clean. And you know, he doesn't just deal with the left side of our scale. He deals with the right side of our scale. Did you know that? And he looks at our little Yorkshire Terriers and says, oh, isn't that cute? You're so far short. But I'll take care of that. I'll actually get on the scale. I'll weigh it down. I'll wipe that side out and I'll sit on the scale and I'll be your righteousness. I'll take your sin your brokenness and your pain, I'll take it. I'll put it right on my chest as I hang on the cross. And then I'll get down from that cross and I'll sit on the scale and I'll be your righteousness and I'll teach you how to live righteousness, righteously, and save a reward for when you do face judgment.